Hey, BSN Denver listeners. We're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive, and the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout. That's promo code BSN2018 to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to a brand new BSN Nuggets podcast, Monday edition of the program. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here. We are presented by Total Beverage right now for a limited time. Total Beverage has an exclusive deal just for BSN listeners. You can get $10 off a $50 purchase or more on their website and app by using the promo code BSN10. Again, use promo code BSN10, BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 order for all your holiday parties and have it delivered right to your door. Of course, Total Beverage makes it super convenient, so you can have all your liquor, wine, beer, spirits delivered to your house, your office, your apartment, wherever you are, anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie, so make sure to check out Total Beverage on their app, online, check out their store too, huge space uh, located in Denver. So let's get into the show here. We got a lot to talk about. Nuggets beat the 76ers the other night, 126-110, a historic night for Nicole Jokic. We'll get into that. Uh, his performance go over some other guys up and down the roster. Where I want to start, though, is on the defensive end of the floor mainly. That felt like my biggest takeaway from this game, even though the Nuggets won. You know, it was a victory, another win, 126-110. The first half defense really stood out, and the first quarter defense stood out. And where I stand with this team right now is I feel like they're kind of treading water. They're still piling up wins. They're still in a great spot, second in the West, obviously. They've won four out of their last five. Granted, those four wins were against Chicago, Cleveland, Phoenix, and Philadelphia without Jimmy Butler, without... Joel Embiid without Wilson Chandler, but they're getting wins. They're still second in the West, but it still feels like they're kind of treading water. And I think a big reason for that is just the defense continues to take this nosedive from where it was at the beginning of the season, while the offense is just firing on all cylinders and looks like the offense of last year and the year before. So I don't really know how to feel about it. Like this team is still playing pretty decent basketball. They're still getting wins. They're still finding ways to win games. And in the end, that's really all that matters. But it's just got a different feel I'm kind of sensing than it did maybe a month ago. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I mean, last night's win, it, it kind of felt like one from the 2016-17 season almost. When oh, yeah. The Nuggets were out there just trying to outscore everyone. That was the only way they could win. Really just the height of the shootout at the OK Corral. <laughs> yeah, man. That was the height of it. Um, I mean, everything kind of started to shift for Denver in that December 5th game against the Orlando Magic. The Magic hit 23s that night. The Nuggets were still able to pull out a, a win in overtime, but they didn't play terribly well. Um, you know, these last 25 games, the Nuggets are giving up 111.6 points per 100 possessions. That's 24th in the NBA. You know, that's that's where they were at defensively these last two seasons. Um, you know, I don't know who this team is really is defensively. I, I don't think they're top 10 like we saw at the beginning part of the season, but I also don't think they're as bad as we've seen these last 25 games. You know, I, I think they can probably be a, a middle-of-the-pack team. Um, you know, what we've seen these, these last 25 games or so, teams are, are hitting wide-open threes at uh, a much larger rate than they did at the beginning of the year. Teams are connecting on 39% of wide-open threes per NBA.com. So I think luck is part of it. I think the injuries to Harris and Millsap are part of it. But also, they're just not bringing the fire like they did at the beginning of the year. I mean, last night... They, they made one or two passes, and it was a good look every single time those first three quarters. Like, they didn't even have to try to get good looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, J.J. Redick just pretty much running to the corner, one-shot fake, a stationary dribble, and a, a wide-open corner three. It wasn't that hard for Philly. And that was a Philly team who was without their two best players. Uh, so Denver's still got a ways to go on that defensive end of the floor. Yeah, what happened in that game against the Magic? Did Evan Fournier, like, play a dirty trick on his old organization? Poison the water at Pepsi Center when he was here. How many threes did he make from the left corner of that game? A million? We made six to ten. I got to think three or four of them were from the left corner. Yeah, it, it felt like a lot that game. I don't, I don't know. Evan Fournier is when everything shifted. That's pretty funny. So, I mean, can we point to anything that is quantifiable when looking at this defensive dive? You mentioned teams are hitting... Wide open threes against Denver. That's something they weren't doing at the beginning of the season. And uh, we knew there was some regression that was bound to come there. The first quarter defense is something Michael Malone's been harping on a lot lately. And he'll still be harping on it after this Philadelphia win because the Nuggets gave up 37 points in the first quarter to a starting lineup that was TJ McConnell, JJ Redick, Ben Simmons, Corey Brewer, and Jonah Bolden. Not great, Bob. Philly scored 37 points with those five guys playing the majority of that first quarter. I mean, Mike Muscala hit three threes in that first quarter. Yeah, they were just leaving Muscala wide open. Like, that's the only thing he can do. I right. Mean, just, you, you kind of, you can't help too much when you're guarding Mike Muscala. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, so uh, Philly shoots 65% from the field in the first quarter. 4-7 from three, racks up 37 points. Denver, uh, on the theme of their last couple months, Scores 41 points and, you know, is almost just as good from the field in three uh, as Philly was and is able to lead by four points still after the first quarter. But, I mean, the last seven games, Denver's defensive rating is 136.2 in first quarters. Ugh. It's by far the worst mark in the league. Um, it's bad. They're just not, you know, getting defense into the game. That's that's a Michael Malonism. They're not getting defense into the game in the first quarter. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's kind of frustrating to watch. I mean, I wonder how much part of this too is mentally 
now that the Nuggets are clicking on the offensive end again, I mean, they weren't playing up to their potential at the beginning part of the year. How much did they just know in the back of their minds? Like, eh, it's okay. Well, we can just outscore them. Like, we'll get it back on the other end. We'll be fine. I think Nikola Jokic talked a little about that last night after the win. Nikola Jokic has said that. Monte Morris has said that. Michael Malone has said that. So you get the sense that's something in the back of a lot of people's minds. Uh, the fact that earlier this year, the defense was how this team was winning games. We're going back to the first month, month and a half of the year. Their open shots weren't falling. Remember how Gary Harris and Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, they were all shooting like well below 30% from three for the first couple months of the year. Nobody could hit a wide open three on this team. Torrey Craig started the year like 0 of 50 from beyond the arc. I know that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but still. Um, he's turned it around quite nicely since then. Defense was really how this team got wins at the beginning of the year. They were relying on their defense. They were generating steals. They were getting out in transition. Now, Jamal Murray's gotten hot. Nicole Jokic has had a big couple months on the offensive end. He had a historic night uh, last night against Philly. Gary Harris is back. Will Barton has looked electric on the offensive end. And, yeah, maybe there's something to what a lot of these players and coaches have been saying. Now they feel like they can just get the other team back on the offensive end if they give up a basket. I think there's a lot to that. And, um, you know, are they going to be able to do both? Are they going to be able to click like they are right now on the offensive end and play defense like they were at the beginning of the year? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I mean, they, they can coast to the playoffs just, you know, playing well in the offensive end and not really playing that much defense. Like they, they've played so well through this beginning part of the year that they're in that position. So I'm not they worried about that They have to go 17 and 17, right? To get to 50 wins. Yeah. Like that's absurd. Yeah. I mean, they could have a really poor final two months of the season and still finish at 50 wins. Yeah. I mean, they can really coast to it. Um, they put themselves in a great spot, but you know, I think everybody on this team probably has the goal of winning a playoff series. I think they certainly have the talent on this team to do it. And, they're just going to have to play, I mean, better defense if they want to accomplish that. You, I don't, I don't think you can win in the playoffs only playing one side of the ball. Um, I mean, I thought honestly the damage could have been a lot worse because I thought Ben Simmons kind of stunk in this game. Like he was just missing layups. He was uh, not impressive in this game. No, six for seventeen from the field, just missed so many bunnies, yeah. and he finally shot a three. He did. You called him out on it. <laughs> First three-point attempt of the year, and end-of-quarter heave at the end of the third quarter, I believe. You, you could tell he really did not want to take that heave. Dude, I thought live he didn't get it off. Like, I thought he did the thing where he just kept it in his hands that extra half second so it wouldn't count, but then it showed up in the box score, so I guess it was. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's the Nuggets scorekeeper kind of getting one over on Ben Simmons. <laughs> Shoot a three, you coward. <laughs> yeah, he was not impressive. I don't know how much fun I'd have watching Ben Simmons every night. The just jump stops at the foul line when he gets cut off by the defense and pivoting and all of a sudden his back is facing the basket. It's, I don't know, it kind of gets a little repetitive for me. Yeah, I mean, him and Giannis are fairly similar players and Giannis is just so much more fun to watch. I mean, Right, I, I because guess... Giannis can take one dribble after half court and dunk the ball. Ben needs two or three. Yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons is a huge guy. He's six foot ten. He's jacked. He's strong, and and just think how much much bigger and longer and more athletic Giannis is than him. It's pretty crazy, right? Um, what about this theory? Somebody uh, around the team threw this out to me. 
what if teams just kind of coasted through the first 20 games of the season, through the first month, month and a half of the year? Hey, it's the beginning of the season. You know, we're still figuring things out. You know, we're we're going to really you know, pick things up in December and January. These games at the beginning of the season don't really matter, you know. Season doesn't start until Christmas anyway. Uh, we're kind of just going to coast through uh, the beginning of the year. Everybody's got new pieces on you know, their teams throughout the league. We're st- it's going to take time to figure things out. Uh, what about that theory that the beginning of the season games don't really matter at all? So teams weren't that sharp on offense just yeah. because they didn't matter and they're still getting familiar with each other? Right. Eh, I don't know if I buy that that much. Or just the overall quality of play now is much higher than it was in October and November. Yeah. And Denver's defense, while it was capitalizing on you know, teams that were a bit rusty out of the gate and still getting familiar with one another, uh, it's, it's kind of been hurt by that too. I don't know. Just a theory I heard. I'm not sure if I agree with it. I mean, maybe there's a tiny bit to it, but I, th- I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's a little something to it. Um, you know, I, Paul Millsap has still you know, been good on the defensive end, but I don't think he's playing at quite the level he did at the beginning part of the year, and you know, all these injuries have played a part in it as well. Uh, I think Gary Harris is, I think you make a case, he's his team's second best defender, um, and he's missed a, a number of games, and he still comes up like kind of hobbling or, or limping sometimes too. So I think health is you know, one of the mo- most significant factors uh, as well. The Paul Millsap point you bring up is interesting. He played 17 minutes against Philly last night. And, yeah, Denver won by 16, but I think Nicole Jokic played through the fourth quarter until there were like three minutes left. So Denver's regulars pretty much played the entire game. Paul Millsap only played 17 minutes last night. One or two from the field, four points, four rebounds. Um, not a huge impact in the box score. Um, here are his minutes totals over the last couple games here. 22 against Phoenix, 18 in that loss in Utah, 23 against Cleveland, 25 against the Bulls, 21 against Golden State. Is this going to be the type of minutes we see him play for the rest of the season? Low 20s, high teens? Or is he just kind of going through a rough patch and he's going to be the 25 to 30 minute player he was at the beginning of the season from here on out? I think I'll get back to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know who the minutes leader was last night, by the way? Yeah, it's Tory Craig. <laughs> Tory Craig. They're in there for 35 minutes after, what, 38 against Utah? I mean, yeah. Tory Craig played well, too. I'm not saying anything to diminish him. He, he had a good offensive game, uh, 15 points, 6 of 13 from the field. So played pretty well on that end. Um, but, yeah, I thought he was yeah. okay in defense. I'll say this about Tory. I'm the biggest Tory Craig guy you're going to find. I love him. I love his story. I love how hard he plays. I love the fact that he doesn't care if he plays 35 minutes like he did against Philly or five minutes or if he doesn't play at all. He doesn't care if he's playing in the NBA or playing in Sioux Falls. He just wants to hoop. And I have a lot of respect for him just because of his story and his background and how he came up and bet on himself. And now he's you know, a important role player on the Nuggets. He's struggled defensively, I felt like, over you know the last couple of weeks. And he's had some really good moments this year on defense, specifically against Russell Westbrook and Dame Lillard and a lot of point guards out there. But I felt like he's struggled both on the ball and off ball here as of late. 
you know, I think it's pretty clear that Malik Beasley is a better option offensively, but how big do you think the, the gap is defensively between Craig and Beasley? Because I'm kind of with you. I don't, you know, I don't think Torrey is an exceptional defender. I think, you know, sometimes he's average, sometimes he's above average. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think the gap between, you know, Craig and Beasley defensively is that big. You know, I don't either. I, I don't think it is either. They're both going to lock up their guy on one possession, and they're both liable to let go of a blow-by on the next possession. Uh, they're both liable to you know, one time down the floor on defense, make a really good rotation, and uh, pick up a steal, jump, jump a passing lane. On the next possession, they're both liable to let their guy go right back door. They both make mistakes. They both make good plays. You're 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 not going to find really anybody on this roster, I don't think, who is going to like, play a flawless, you know, defensive game. There's not many guys in the league like that, but you know, a, there's a lot of mistakes going on right now. Who's the second best defensive player on this team? Mm. Mason Plumley. Ooh, I think I think I like that answer. Um, you know, I, him and Gary are the two candidates in my mind. This this might sound crazy. I don't think Monte Morris is that far behind those guys either, <laughs> just because he doesn't make mistakes that often. Like right, positioning wise, um, he's pretty good. You know, he might just get run over because he only weighs 150 pounds, <laughs> but he's going to be in the right position. Yeah, I wish more guys would do that in this roster. Right, second best defender. So, who do you think it is? I think it's Mason Plumley. Yeah, and you might be right. I would like have to sit down and like look at some of the numbers. Yeah, I mean, I said Gary like five minutes ago. I mean, I'd, I'd probably go Paul. Shoot, man, you might be right. Mason, Gary, and then Monte. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So the first half, defensively, it was a struggle, no doubt, against Philly. In the second half, though, we should mention, it was a really good defensive performance. 42 points is all the Nuggets allowed, the 76ers, over the third and fourth quarters. Philly shot just 33% from the field, 5-18 from three in the second half. They only scored 14 points in the fourth quarter, so maybe that's something that is a tell about this Nuggets defense. They can play defense at the level they did at the beginning of the year, but they're picking and choosing their spots. Maybe they're not going to get that defensive effort over four quarters. Maybe they're just going to get it in one quarter here, one quarter there. But I guess the second-half defense is something to feel good about. If you're the Nuggets, if you're Michael Malone, you can take what you did over the third and fourth quarters on that end of the floor. Granted, it was against a team that was not all that deep, and if Denver did drop this game, it probably would have been one of the worst losses of the season. There wasn't a ton of offensive firepower on this Philly team, but still, to hold anybody to 42 points in a quarter is a good accomplishment, so Denver can feel good about their defensive effort in the second half in this one. I don't think many of us have answers here as to why the defense isn't where it was at the beginning of the year. We've asked this question a lot throughout the season, and I feel like we've both been on the same page, but where do you see the Nuggets finishing defensively? Because for as bad as they've been over the last couple months, they're still 10th overall in the league on defense, you know, which speaks to how freaking good they were on that end of the floor to open the season that they can be this bad for this long and still have so much of a cushion built up from how dominant they were on defense at the beginning of the, of the year to not drop out of the top 10 right now. Where do you see them finishing defensive rating wise when this thing is all said and done here? Ooh, I'll, I'll say 15th. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Somewhere around there. I mean, I, I think they're going to continue to slide. Um, okay. But I don't know. That's, that's pretty steep. I mean, somewhere in the 10 to 15 range, they're, they're 10 right now. You know, I, I got to say I was probably 
drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much in the beginning of the year. Um, I mean, I, I really did think there was a chance they could finish like top eight when I, when I saw that beginning stretch. I probably didn't, you know, factor in just the randomness of wide open threes mm-hmm. and the teams were hitting at the beginning of the year. So, yeah, I mean, somewhere 10 or 15. I don't think they're going up, but I don't see them sliding any, anything past 15. To our question earlier, who's this team's second best defender? We're in agreement it's Millsap first. NBA.com defensive rating says Jared Vanderbilt's this team's best defender. <laughs> a 50.0 defensive rating in uh, 3.9 minutes. Well, Harrison, how many rebounds per 36 minutes is Jared Vanderbilt averaging? Well, I can tell you his rebound percentage is 33.3. Oh, my God. The new Lamar oh, no, slash Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I'm ready to write the Hall of Fame speech already about Jared Vanderbilt. I knew he was going to be special when I saw that 50-foot bounce pass from Malik Beasley during garbage time against the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> nice pass. It's nice well, pass. It's a nice pass. Um, I will say they finish 12th in defensive rating. Okay. Look, I mean, they've been this bad for this extended of a stretch, and they're still 10th. I don't see the defense necessarily getting worse. I mean, can it get worse? I guess it could. Well. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I should be careful with what I say there. All right, let's hit a break real quick. We got a lot more to get to from this game. Nicole Jokic had a night. He was in this bag last night against Philadelphia. We'll touch on his performance. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado sports network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to bsnbars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here. Monday episode of the show. Talking about this latest Nuggets win, 126-110 over the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, the defense, still not great, especially the first quarter defense. We haven't had the opening night starting lineup still. I want to touch on that in a little bit and when they might get that back and just why that group is so good together and maybe it's going to say and and once those guys get back on the floor it's going to tell us that this team can still get a lot better this year we'll we'll get into that in a second but uh should probably touch on Nikola Jokic's night from Saturday a little bit here because it was historic 32 points 18 rebounds 10 assists 34 minutes of action any aspect of his night stand out more to you than uh another one I mean he was dominant in all facets of this game I had a feeling Coming off the one-game suspension, he was going to be really good. He was going to be aggressive from the start, and he certainly was in the first quarter. When I saw that Joel Embiid was going to miss this game, I was even more confident that Jokic was going to have a big night. And then on the first possession of the game, when I saw Philly was going to try to guard Jokic with Ben Simmons, (laughs) I turned to Brendan Vogt on my left and said, yeah, Jokic is going to have 30 points tonight. (laughs) And sure enough, he did. What was Philly thinking trying to guard Jokic with Ben Simmons? I mean, Ben Simmons is a big, pretty strong dude, but 
you know, Nikola Jokic is a load. I mean, Ben Simmons, six foot ten. What is he? Two thirty. I'm just guessing. I should probably look it up. But Jokic, I mean, you just can't guard him with smaller players. He will abuse them every single time inside. I mean, Jokic got to 32 points. He did it almost entirely. Um, you know, right around the rim. Ten of his 12 field goal makes in this game came in the restricted area. So. He was just feasting on whoever Philly threw at him. Uh, Mike Muscala did not have a chance. Ben Simmons didn't have a chance. Uh, Amir Jonah Johnson. Bolden. Yeah, Jonah Bolden. Are, are you kidding me? Jokic, 11 minutes for Jonah Bolden. He was a minus 12. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, sometimes we think of Jokic as this finesse player, but when mm. he needs to be physical, that dude is, is just a freaking beast. I mean, there's there's almost nobody in the league that, that can stop him from getting to that hook shot. I mean, Joel Embiid might be like one of two or three players. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we spend hours and hours talking about how Jokic needed to get in shape this summer, and he did come into training camp in really good shape, just his physical appearance, I'll say. He looked svelte when he rolled into training camp back in September. I feel like he's put on some weight throughout the season, and he's powerful, man. He just buries guys down low in the post. He'll put his button to somebody and just back him down and just get this great position and kill guys down on the block. Like maybe this is the uh, ideal weight for him to be playing at. If he can just dominate other post players like this and still have the stamina to play mid thirties. Yeah. Maybe he's just the best version of himself when he's doughy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've spent all this time saying that Jokic needs to get jacked and I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, He's playing like an MVP, and what's his body fat percentage, if you had to guess? Oh, we shouldn't do that. Let's well, I, I don't even know, like, how to guess. I, I don't know, like, what a good body fat percentage from him, for him would be. Yeah. Jokic's just post-game. I mean, you can just tell. Like, that's a guy who had two mean older brothers, and he learned that post-game by, by having to play against those dudes. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would have loved to see those games of 21. I don't know if they played 21 in Serbia, but I bet they were just, like, blood battles. Yeah, so, so what stood out to you from his night? Was it more the scoring, the, the rebounds, 18 rebounds, six offensive rebounds? Uh, he was tipping the ball to himself all over the place, 10 assists. What do you remember looking back on it the most? I mean, honestly, he just made it all look really easy. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm kind of becoming accustomed to this almost. Uh, it, it shouldn't look that easy when a guy goes for 32, 18, and 10. Torrey Craig said after the game, actually, when he don't have a triple-double, I'm surprised. Uh, he's an all-star player, and he's playing like it. I'm kind of there with you, Tori. I mean, we we're asking Will Barton too, and he was like, "Man, I'm tired of talking about Nikola Jokic." Like, right? He's just like well, everybody is. This guy's like a top ten player in the league. I mean, there's enough evidence of that. We we should all just accept it and not be surprised when he does wild stuff like this. I mean, the rebounding, 18 boards, pretty remarkable. Six offensive rebounds. I think he got like three of those offensive rebounds on one of the very first plays of the game when he tipped it to himself mm-hmm. like eight times. I've I've never seen a player who can tip the ball to himself like that. I asked Malone about, you know, that particular aspect of the game, and he said it almost reminds him of Moses Malone in some ways. Yeah, that was a very direct answer um, yeah. he gave you. The first quarter stands out to me. I mentioned earlier that I thought he was going to come out really aggressive off this one-game suspension, and you know, he was pissed about that suspension, like behind the scenes privately. He was not happy. Neither were the Nuggets, and I don't blame him. We spoke about the suspension a lot last week, so I don't want to – spend too much time on it, but 
I, st- I still feel like he should not have been suspended for that game. I know the league was trying to send the message, uh, but I feel like they sent the wrong message that one guy in Steph Curry can walk on the floor and not get any punishment. And another guy, Nicole Jokic, can do the same thing and get a one-game ban. But I don't want to spend any more time on it. But Jokic was pissed about it. He spent that game at home. He was not allowed in the arena. Who do you watch the game with? Wilson Chandler. <laughs> who was in town for this game a little early. So uh, that's kind of fun, those two guys reconnecting. I always felt like those two guys had a little special bond between one another. I just feel like Jokic got Wilson Chandler. Yeah, that's like one of the coolest parts about the NBA, just guys from completely different backgrounds becoming friends. Wilson Chandler from Benton Harbor, Michigan. Nikola Jokic from Sambor, Serbia. Two uh, pretty different places. Right. Getting back to the first quarter, I had a feeling Jokic was going to come out aggressive. He certainly did. You could just tell his eyes were lighting up when he saw Ben Simmons was going to guard him. 7-12 in that first quarter. 17 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists in 10 minutes. I mean, that alone is a stat line. A lot of big men, including Jonah Bolden and uh, Mike Muscala, would dream about posting in a single game. I mean, Jokic did that in 10 minutes of work. And uh, I have a lot of friends from Philly, like oddly. I don't really? know. There's a bunch of people here in Denver from Philly. And uh, I don't think they really understood how good Jokic was. You know, watching Eastern Conference ball a lot, watching the 76ers a lot. But they definitely know how good of a player he is right now. I mean, he dominated this game. He, he absolutely dominated this game. And it was light work for him, like you said. It didn't look that hard. Philly fans are so annoying, man. I mean, there's was, there was two of them sitting in a box right behind me, and like at the beginning of the game, they're yelling at Jokic in their Philly accents, like, you're trash! It's like, <laughs> c- come on, guys. Like, what are we doing? Also, there's a, a guy from Philadelphia who works at a gas station near me. He has bumper stickers for all four of the major pro sports teams from Philly, mm-hmm. and his license plate, I kid you not, is John, spelled J-A-W-N. It's the most Philly thing I've ever John? seen in my entire life. Like, this is John? Yeah. Couldn't be more Philly. Do you think do you think Jokic is better than Joel Embiid? Put you on the spot here. Yes, I do. This season, yes. Right now, yes. I think he is too. I think he is too. Um, I mean, it's an easy point to make right now after we watched Jokic <laughs> put up 32, 18, and 10. Just crush his backups. Uh, the first player in league history to hit that stat line in 34 minutes or less. And the fact that Joel Embiid didn't play in this game probably makes it easier to, <laughs> to say that as well. But I would, man. Jokic is playing like a top 10 player in the league right now. Joel Embiid's probably been that this year as well. Jokic might even be playing like a top five player in the league right now. I mean, there's not many people playing at a higher level than him. Harden, Steph, Giannis, Durant, Jokic, Paul George. That's the top of the league right now. That's the class of the NBA. And so, yeah, I think he is better at this current moment. Yeah, I mean, I love Embiid, but when the ball goes into me, I mean, he's just kind of a ball stopper. Yeah, he's a little bit of a black hole, to be honest. I'll say it. Yeah, I mean, you know, he covers for a lot of his teammates' mistakes defensively, but I I don't think he's making anybody better on the offensive end. And it's so funny. Our basketball, at least I won't speak for you, but my basketball ideology is so based off of watching Nikola Jokic for the last four years. There's nothing more I hate than ball stoppers now. You know, there's nothing more I hate than ISO one-on-one scores because I've been watching this guy play the beautiful game for the last four years. So, I mean, that's how I think. Like, that's what I think good basketball is. We probably sound so annoying to people outside of Denver, like, talking about 
you know just how talk, great it is to watch team basketball all the talking time. about the freaking euro game like it's yeah. this this the best thing since uh sliced bread and i mean it's just so far from the basketball you know i grew up watching in high school and whatnot yeah we were talking about this at the, at the bar after the game but you know the way Jokic moves the ball it's it's almost like a, a central midfielder mm-hmm. like that's that's kind of what the nuggets offensive attack reminds me of just like a European soccer team with a great central midfielder where everything flows through him. Right. Jokic is kind of the central mid. Maybe Gary Harris is like your right midfielder, your right striker. Will Barton, definitely a uh, a center forward. <laughs> definitely your top striker. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jokic is like your number 10. Mason Plumley sweeper. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say for Monte Morris? Monte Morris is your center defensive mid, I think. Maybe Malik Beasley, left mid. Yeah. Will Barton is definitely a forward. Yeah. Uh, aren't those guys like they're the flashiest guys too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. Will Barton's your center forward for sure. Before we move on here, a quick word from Strava Craft Coffee. Of course, Strava Craft Coffee is the CBD enriched coffee that's really changed lives. It's taken away long term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty. Personally, we cannot recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off your StravaCraft coffee when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout and get it shipped straight to your door. Again, use promo code BSN2018, BSN2018 at checkout to receive 20% off your order of StravaCraft coffee and have it shipped straight to your door. On the soccer discussion, Paul Millsap's definitely the Nuggets keeper, right? Ooh, I like that. Paul Millsap would be a great goalie. Yeah, definitely good. So the Nuggets are in Memphis Monday. They've got the Pelicans on the road Wednesday. Quick two-game road trip. Back here at Pepsi Center for a nationally televised matchup against the Rockets on Friday and then off on, what, a four-game road trip? East Coast road trip. So... It's going to get tough for Denver here schedule-wise, and you really wish at this point this starting lineup was back together, right? This seemed like the perfect time in the season, and I'm talking about this last week, to get those five starters reintegrated together in the starting lineup. And I'm talking about Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Nicole Jokic, of course. Injuries and minutes limits, and now a ankle injury to Jamal Murray has prevented that from happening. How do you see the Nuggets navigating this latest injury to Murray here? And he's going to miss this game in Memphis. I don't know what his status is going to be for New Orleans. How do you see them navigating that? And are we ever going to get this freaking starting lineup back together? Because my uh, patience is is running a bit low here. Well, to answer the last part of the question, no, we're never going to see the opening night starting no. lineup. Damn it. As, as soon as Jamal Murray is ready to come back, I'm sure Nicole Jokic will stub his toe in a bed frame or something like that and not be able to go. Um, and to answer the first part of the question, uh, I think the Nuggets are going to deal with, you know, some starters continuing to be out with heavy dosage of, of Torrey Craig. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> sticking to the script. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's in there for 35 minutes uh, against Philly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Torrey Craig is just going to be Michael Malone's guy uh, until they have, you know, their, their five guys for, from opening night ready to return. What do you think about starting Will Barton? And Torrey Craig and uh, Gary Harris going with the three-guard, three-wing look here against uh, Philly the other night. Was that a one-time deal to match up with Ben Simmons, you believe? Or are we going to see Monte Morris enter the starting lineup here? 
in Memphis. How do you see that situation going? Yeah, that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, if I was guessing, I would just say Torrey Craig is going to continue to be in there. I thought I thought Will Barton did a, a solid job, honestly, uh, of bringing the ball up the court and, and playing point guard. I mean, we say that, but Will Barton's not really the point guard. Nicole Jokic is the point guard. The Nuggets just right. need somebody to bring the ball up the floor and get it to Jokic. Yeah, you just can't waste Jokic's energy making him dribble <laughs> the 10 dribbles it takes to go from the baseline to the midcourt line. Yeah. <laughs> you just need somebody to bring the ball up that distance. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this for a long time. I think Will Barton is actually an underrated playmaker. Um, I mean, he only had one assist in this game, yeah, whatever, but they got the ball to Jokic where he needed to get the ball, and Will Barton really understands how to how to play off of Jokic. I mean, he, he understands it just about as, as good as anyone on this roster. Um, I think when you look at the, the numbers over the last couple of years, Barton and Jokic have crushed it offensively when they're out there on the floor, so... I'm fine with it until Jamal Murray comes back, honestly. I'm with you. I believe we'll see this same starting lineup in Memphis. And it's because the Nuggets won this game against the 76ers. If they had lost this game, I bet you we would have seen Monte Morrison against Memphis because every coach and Michael Malone falls in this category is just a creature of habit. If they get a win, they're not going to switch things up, right? Like Even if Denver had won by one basket on a game winner from Nikola Jokic. I don't think they're going to switch the starting lineup up. Even if like the starters were a negative, right? Even if the starters were like a minus 10 and Denver still won the game, you're not going to find many coaches in the league who are going to switch things up drastically from what they did the night before, even if statistically it says they should. That's how much uh, coaches are creatures of habit, it seems. So I don't expect anything to change in Memphis. Uh, that's for sure. And Denver should win that game against a Memphis team, which is in a nosedive right now and is probably going to try to trade Mike Conley and Marcus All here pretty soon. The Philly game was just so weird, man. I mean, Philly tried to do hack a plumbing at one point. They were they're pressuring full court a number of different times. Monte Morris, uh, you know, as you'd predict, had, had no trouble dealing with that pressure, but they really tried to junk it up in this game. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it took forever, too. It felt like that first half took two hours. Well, Brett Brown had a couple of very interesting quotes uh, pregame. He's definitely one of the best quotes in the league, just with his diction and word choice and whatnot. Uh, I'm going to read you two quotes here. Uh, The first one he said, just talking about what he wanted from his bench players the other night, because Philly was obviously out a couple starters. They were going to need some bench guys to step up. And I thought this quote was so interesting and can be applied to Denver's bench players and really every role player in the league. But he said, It's mostly can you stick within sort of a system that we've taught offensively and defensively? Can you find that balance of swagger and some level of discipline? That sometimes for even experienced players is a hard world to navigate. But we're going to have to do something unique here in Denver if we're going to win. And I don't see that being anything that is conservative. I feel like our young players will play with a spirit. They'll try to find that balance of swagger and accountability, responsibility, discipline within the system, and hopefully those two worlds collide well. So those worlds didn't collide, I guess, in Brett Brown's world, but they had to be aggressive, as he said. They had to do some unconventional things like full-court press and trap Nuggets players from time to time and play hack a plumley and obviously that didn't work out. But, yeah, it was... a. Uh, it was a bit of an aggressive game plan. It, the game did seem really choppy, though. I'm with you. 
Yeah, not great depth on this Philadelphia 76ers team. <laughs> right, they rolled out um, Hayward Highsmith in the fourth quarter. I can't believe that's a real person. <laughs> it sounds like a 2K creative player. <laughs> you know where he went to college? Hayward Highsmith? Uh, no. Wheeling Jesuit. Good Lord. I don't even think that's a real school. There's no way that Wheeling Jesuit is a real school. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know Haywood Highsmith was in the NBA before last night. Wheeling Jesuit University is a private, co-educational Roman Catholic university in Wheeling, West Virginia. It was founded as Wheeling College in 1954 by the Society of Jesus. Today, Wheeling Jesuit University is one of 28 member institutions of the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities. The Society of Jesus. Wow. Um, One more note about Brett Brown. Does Wheeling Jesuit University seriously have a basketball team? What conference do they play in? They're in Division Two. Wow. Okay, sorry. Oh, it's cool. No, no. I was just going <laughs> to, before we get out of here, I, I also... They have 1,289 <laughs> students. My high school was twice the size of Wheeling Jesuit. <laughs> oh, my God. How is that a real place? It's apparently situated in the mountains of West Virginia. Is that what you just said? I just rattled off the Wikipedia like opening paragraph okay. to uh, Wheeling Jesuit. Yeah. Wow. Picturesque place. Mm-hmm. You know? Praise the Lord in the mountains. Play a little ball. I wanted to say about Brett Browner, I guess, ask you. Yeah, he's got a great way of speaking. He also has an incredible tan. Mm-hmm. Like, how is he able to maintain such a beautiful tan when he's spending all this time in Philadelphia? He coached in Australia for a while, right? Maybe he's just permatan from Australia. <laughs> that's a possibility, yeah. I'm just I don't, kidding. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's... I'm not sure if that's a, if that's a thing you can get in Australia. Maybe, though. A permatan? I kind of have a permatan. It's like the Mike Shanahan permatan. Although I think that's a little artificial. Sorry, some other thoughts from this game. Let's touch on the Jamal Murray ankle injury again because the way that Mike Malone described it after the game, I asked him if teams worried about it at all or if this is just another minor thing that Jamal has dealt with and he's been dealing with a lot of ankle injuries this year. He sounded pretty concerned. He said it was really swollen uh, this morning. That was Saturday morning, so... No, most of you guys are listening to this on Monday, so two days later, a lot of things can change. But it seems like this is a a tougher ankle injury, a, a maybe a slightly worse ankle injury than the little tweaks he's had over the last month or so. So I'm not sure if he's going to play Wednesday in New Orleans. You know, I don't think it would be the worst idea to just give him a couple days off here and just let him get back to as close to full health as he can here. Will Barton, like you mentioned, he had a nice game, 16 points, 6 of 11 shooting. Mason Plumley had a great night as well. Probably uh, goes a bit under the radar, but 17 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists from him in 22 minutes. Any other final thoughts from this game? Wancho was only in there for 13 minutes, but mm-hmm. uh, he looked pretty bad in this game to yeah. me. He tried to take the ball up the court. He got stripped. Michael Bowen called a, a rage timeout, understandably so. Wancho has looked pretty rough here for the last couple of weeks. I don't know how much of that is the – the core abdomen issue that he's been dealing with, but man, he's, he's falling off a cliff. It was ever since I came out and was adamant that I would rather have him long-term than Malik Beasley. And the true answer to that question was Tory Craig. <laughs> so true. That was so true. But am I worried about Wancho? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. I'm uh, not like ready to sell my stock. I'm holding on. I'm holding on to my stock. Yeah, of course. Um, But it's funny. We spent a lot of time on that trade uh, 
deadline preview podcast where I feel like we said a lot but didn't say anything at the same time for that 45 minutes we spent chatting about the trade deadline and what the Nuggets might do because I just think this is going to be a very quiet trade deadline for Denver. And we talked about throwing Trey Lyles into a deal potentially if there was some interest for him. And I'm going to walk that back, I think. I think this team kind of needs a little bit of Trey Lyles right now, especially with how Paul Millsap has played and how low Paul Millsap's minutes are right now. Like they need Trey Lyles to play 15 to 20 minutes at this current juncture. You don't want to play Mason Plumley 30 minutes a game. You'd much rather play him 20 to 25. And so there are going to be 15 to 20 minutes for Trey Lyles here. If Paul Millsap is playing around 20 to 25 minutes as well. So I think I'm going to walk that back that the Nuggets should look for a deal for Trey Lyles. I think they should probably hold on to him here and then see what happens in restricted free agency. Maybe you get him back on a low dollar deal. Maybe he goes somewhere else and signs for big money elsewhere. Good for him if he can get that deal. But I think the only thing Denver would really look to do at the trade deadline here is potentially find a new home for Tyler Lydon if another team is interested in him and would give up maybe a pick in return. It's really the only thing I could see Denver doing. I don't think they necessarily need to go out and add another shooter. If they can get somebody for a Tyler Lydon, yeah, you know, maybe you make that deal to bolster the end of your bench here for the playoffs. But I don't see Denver really pursuing a deal for a guy that they're going to say, oh, we've got this guy, we can play him 10 to 15 minutes because there's just not that playing time available. I think Denver's got their guys here that they want to have for the rest of the season and the playoffs. And yeah, maybe Isaiah Thomas is the uh, trade deadline acquisition. So kind of to put a wrap on that subject from last week, I think Tyler Lydon could be the one player on the move if anybody gets traded here. Oh, interesting. I mean, what, you probably get a second rounder for Tyler Lydon. Second rounders are as good as gold to the Nuggets. Yeah. No, there are teams that are interested in Tyler Lydon from what I hear. There are teams who are interested in him and would probably trade for him. Denver's going to have to decide, do we want to hold on to him? Uh, do we want to... I mean, what's the point of holding uh, on to him? If, yeah. if you can get something, like right. a decent second rounder. I mean, there are like still eight power forwards on this roster ahead of them. Right. I mean, he's, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer, right? Right, and the question Denver has to answer is, if a team like Portland is interested in Tyler Lydon, do they want to trade him in division? I think that's the question Denver is going to have to ask themselves. What if Spicy Mayo hits like a game-winning three against right. the Nuggets? What if he turns into Jake Lehman, <laughs> right? That's what Denver's going to really have to ask themselves. A team like Portland, who I think is interested in Tyler Lydon, if they go, we'll give you something for him, but... No. Does Denver want to trade him in division? I don't know. It's going to be an interesting decision to make. Did you see those Blake Griffin trade rumors heating up here on Twitter? Yeah. He's apparently interested in the Denver Nuggets. Blake Griffin wants to come to Denver. I mean, it's a good time to come to Denver. Who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> Heck of a basketball team. People are starting to figure out that the weather's pretty good, I think. Right. Look, Denver's not interested in Blake Griffin. I'm going to end all your wildest dreams and fantasies right there. Not yours. Okay, I was going to say, I don't have any Blake Griffin fantasies. <laughs> He's not a Jokic ball player, I don't think. Uh, actually, I don't know. He's a little underrated of a passer, but he's kind, he of, thumps a, it, though. He's kind of a ball stopper. Yeah, uh, Yeah. the Nuggets will not be trading for Blake Griffin. So if you had any hope of that happening, it will not happen. just doesn't work, and it would kill your 
financial flexibility as well. He's got like four years left on that deal. All right. I think we should probably wrap up here. That's all we got for today's show, guys. We'll have another show here following this game in Memphis on Monday night. They'll probably come out late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. If you have a second, do us a favor, head over to iTunes, review the show, drop us a five-star review. We certainly appreciate it. And with that, we'll be back with another episode on Tuesday. Talk to you then. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out elixinol.com.